the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your living word. I thank you that it is written for us, that we can go to it, that we can see who you are, what you have done, and what you will do. And um, Lord, we want to honor you by reading your word, learning from it, believing it. Lord, not as the unrighteous who despise it, who want nothing to do with it, but help us to be set apart for you, Lord, as your people, and help us to have faith in what you say. And I pray that you'd help me as I teach through this and try to explain it, that you would be with me, Lord, and that you'd have much grace on me and on all of us, Lord, as we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, for those who haven't been with us for, for a while, we've been going over end times. Now it's kind of funny that we go over end times events because, you know, just the stuff that's going on, I thought it would be a good, good time to do it. But we went through Matthew 24 and 25, and then I told you that I would spend just a couple weeks just talking about the rapture of the church. Is it something that we should be hoping in, hoping for? something that we can rely on. You know, there's a lot of teaching that say, well, there's not going to be a rapture, or it's going to happen halfway through the tribulation period, which is seven years long, right? And that's when there's this man of sin, the Antichrist, who arrives on the scene. They rebuild the temple. As we read here, he goes into the temple, proclaims that he is God. But during that seven years, God is raining down his fury and wrath, okay, through different plagues or different judgments, all right, you have the seal judgments, then you have the trumpet judgments, and then you have the bowls of wrath that are poured out on the earth. I mean, stuff like hailstones weighing 100 pounds falling upon men, the sun scorching men, famine, disease, earthquakes, you know, all this stuff happening in rapid succession. And it says in Isaiah 29 that if these, not, not Isaiah 29, actually, yeah, Isaiah 29, that he's going to make man as rare as gold on the earth in those days. In another place it says that if those days were not shortened, nobody would survive. That's how intense it is going to be. And so I think we should be watching. I also think that we should be expectant and ready and eager for the coming of the Lord, right? It tells us to be eager in 1 Corinthians, to be eager for the coming of the Lord. So we should be eager for that day. And when we see all this stuff happen, when we see the world going crazy, yeah, it might cause us to tremble. It might cause us to, you know, stress out, to become depressed or whatever it is. But also we know that there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will reign. But I also believe there's a day coming when he comes and gets his bride and takes her to himself. The church is called the bride of Christ. And we went over what the, um, what the marriage, a Galilean marriage looked like in the first century and how the 
the bridegroom would come and there would be a shout and a trumpet and the voice of a forerunner coming before him saying, the bridegroom is coming. Then he would go, he would take his bride who would be ready. She would have her dress on. The bridesmaid would be ready. And then they would place her on a seat, lift her up into the air and carry her to the bridegroom's house called the flight of the bride. And so that's what I believe the rapture is. It's the flight of the bride. It's when Jesus Christ comes, takes his bride to himself to be with him. Right? In um, John 14, he says, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go there, I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there, I will come back and receive you to myself. Okay, I will receive you. I will take you to myself, that where I may be, you may be also. Right? Jesus said that, and that is, the, that is a, the next thing we are waiting for to happen on God's timeline. Okay? In, the, in, the, in the timeline of, of events that we, we see happening throughout scriptures. So, coming to a very disputed passage. It's Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And as I go through it, um, you'll see this. One thing I don't want to do is, is be just overly dogmatic, because what I'm going to teach you, a lot of people agree with, but a lot of people don't. I would say very equal people on both sides of the spectrum. But they both believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. They both believe that and the succession of events that I'm going to kind of lay out. Um, but just whether or not this passage is talking about it, I will let you decide. You can kind of weigh the evidence, right? Be a Berean. You know, the Bereans were more noble because they searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul was saying was true. Okay? Search the scriptures. See if what I'm saying is true. If it lines up with what the word of God says. All right? So let's start at the beginning says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So verse one points out what is the topic? What is Paul talking about? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. What does that sound like? Sounds like the rapture, right? The word rapture means a snatching away, a being caught up. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That word there is the Greek word harpazo, which means to be snatched up, almost violently, like stolen away. Um, the Latin is rapturo, and so that's where we get the word rapture from. Okay. Now, so we see in this first verse, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and are being gathered together to him. So that's the topic. That's the topic sentence. That's what he's going to talk about. And then he says, Do, um, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, 
either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So he says, don't be shaken. Don't be troubled, all right, in your mind. The word shaken there would be like a, a boat or a ship that is being shaken by the waves, and it's, it's left its moorings. It's, it's adrift now. It's been shaken. Maybe it's capsizing, you know, a capsized faith. You know, some people believe in Jesus Christ, but then tragedies happen or something like that, and what happens? They depart from him. They leave him. They forsake him. They forsake the truth. And they don't persevere. So he asked them, do not be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit. Okay, that would be like my, maybe by somebody's prophecy or somebody said, I heard an angel say or something like that. Or by word, you know, some preacher comes and tells them. Or by letter, somebody wrote them a letter and sent it saying, the day of Christ had come. Or literally, it should be the day of the Lord. If you're, if you're using anything besides a New King James or a King James, it should say day of the Lord. That's probably more accurate. There, there's a variant in the manuscripts there. Really, it's the same thing. <laughs> Not much different. Jesus Christ is the Lord. So they, they're worried. They think the day of the Lord has come. Now, what's the day of the Lord? Go to, go to Isaiah chapter 29 for a moment. Isaiah 29. I'm sorry, not Isaiah 29. 13. Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13, starting in verse 6. And Isaiah says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, and every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pains and sorrow will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud. I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more rare or more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger, it shall be as a hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people, and everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered, and their wives ravished. So notice it's a day that's coming on the whole earth, it says there. And God's going to destroy its sinners from it. This is um, going to be a terrible time. 
And the Thessalonians had just received word that this day had started. It's at hand. Literally, it's at hand. You know, it's happening. So would you be a little scared? Especially if you believe that there was supposed to be an event to take place to take you out of it. You know, there are those who say that, oh, you're just trying to escape from the church having to go through anything hard. That's not true. We've had 2,000 years of persecution, of, of trials, of tribulations, of all sorts. You know, Christians being murdered and slaughtered, have been thrown into prison, going to re-education camps. All kinds of horrible stuff has happened to the church. And the church is to endure suffering. It is to endure hardship. Jesus told us, that, uh, Paul told us in Second Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Endure hardship. We are to endure, but there is going to come a day when God says enough is enough, and he is going to start pouring out his wrath on the earth. It's his wrath. Now, is the church subject to the wrath of God? We're objects of what? Of grace. Unbelievers are objects of wrath. Okay? If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're rejecting him, you are an object of wrath. But if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you receive the love that he has given you on the cross, that he died for your sins, that he rose on the dead for, on the third day, Guess what? You are now an object of his grace, of his love. You are now a son or a daughter of the Most High. It's awesome. Who would reject that? You know? But many people do. But these people think that they're going through the day of the Lord. That it's at hand. That it's happening. And so they are shaken. And then Paul says, don't be shaken. There's other events that are supposed to come first. Okay? Go to verse 3. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So, that day will not come. What day? The day of the Lord. He's saying, you're not in the day of the Lord because... This other, this, these other things haven't happened yet. Okay, I told you what would happen. There would be a falling away or a departure first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So the day of the Lord will not come until the falling away comes first. Now, what is the falling away? This, we're going to focus on this quite a bit. Is Paul speaking of a departure from the faith? Because the literal word means, actually, it's, it's the, where we get the word apostasy from. You know, if you apostatize, you, that means you leave the faith. All right? You have left the faith. You're an apostate. Okay? The literal word is apostasis. Apostasis. It's a compound word. Apo meaning away from, and stasis meaning standing. So literally standing away from. And probably the most literal translation would just be mean departure. And that word departure could mean one of the two things that I just explained. It could mean, one, that there's a departure from the faith. You have fallen away from the faith. You no longer 
are going to follow Jesus Christ, you are no longer going to um, abide in his word. You're no longer going to follow him. You're no longer going to fellowship with, with his people. You're going to leave the faith. Okay? You may maybe take up something else. Maybe it's humanism. Maybe it's Islam. Maybe it's Buddhism. I don't know why anybody would go to Islam because they didn't like Christianity. That's just much more harsh, you know. But it could mean that. It could also mean a departure as in a physical departure. Okay, a physical departure. Little and Scott Lexicon define apostasia as rebellion against God, apostasy, or a departure, a disappearance, or distancing. Distancing. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's Acts 21.21, where it takes on the form of distancing itself from Moses, from his law. Okay, So that would be like an apostasy like we would think of. Um, Acts 21.21, But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Forsake there is the same word, apostasia saying that they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. So here it's used as, again, a, a religious apostasy. And that could be the meaning here in Second Thess- Thessalonians. But I also see something else, that it could mean a physical departure, a physical standing aside, standing away from something. Okay? Um, old translations of the Bible just depart, just translate it as departure. So the Geneva Bible of 1599, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a departing first, and that the man of sin may be disclosed, even the son of perdition. The Matthew Bible, let no man deceive you by any means, for the Lord, um, these are old translations, I can't read them, for the Lord comes not unless there come a departing first, and that sinful man be revealed, the son of perdition. A newer version um, is called the literal standard version, probably one of the most literal versions that you could possibly read. It's not something that you would read because it's very choppy and wooden and, you know, not very fun. But it says, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, because if the departure may not come first, the man of lawlessness may not be revealed, the son of destruction. Okay? So, translated as departure each, each time. But it could still mean a departure from the faith, an, apost- an apostasy from the faith, as we would see it. Um, but again, it could mean a physical departure. So let's, let's look at it a little bit more closely. And why are we going over this? Because I don't want to put my hope, mostly to satisfy my curiosity. I mean, really, you guys have nothing to do with this. It's mostly just me. As, you know, usually about me. But um, I want to be sure, right? As sure as I can be. And so I want to study the Word of God. I want to delve into it. I want to try to to pull out of it what God has for us in it, right? And I want you guys to be a part of that. How would you, how do you interpret pretty much anything that you read, though? And especially the Bible. You come upon a passage that's hard to, you know, or maybe you're just like doing the, the Russian roulette with the verses. 
you know, Bible roulette where you just flip it open and then you read a verse or something like that, which isn't a very good practice, just let me tell you. Because you're missing one thing that will help you decipher or understand what it's saying, and that is context. So you always want to read everything in the Bible in light of its context, in light of the context of the, the sentence, the paragraph, the chapter, the book, the type of writing it is, the, um, the time period that it's in. You always want to read it according to the context that it is in. Okay. Now, what is the first thing Paul tells us that he's going to talk about here? The coming of the Lord and our being gathered to him. Okay, imagine if I told you, hey, I'm going to tell you how good hamburgers are. Okay, I'm going to go over, I'm going to explain all the different toppings, you know, you put tomato and lettuce and cheese on it, and then it goes between these two thick, soft buns, and then you just bite into it, and it's just, you know, if it's done right, it'll still be a little bit red in the middle, right? But then, wonder if I, I said, I'm going to talk to you about hamburgers, but I never mentioned hamburgers. And I only talked about French fries. Would you be kind of like, why is he not talking about hamburgers? Why would Paul say, I'm going to talk to you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered together to him and then never mention it? Because some would say this has nothing to do with a rapture or anything like that or the Lord gathering us up to him. I believe he's talking about the rapture in this passage and even in this verse, and with that word, apostasia. Because it's concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered together to him. So, I pulled up a couple different quotes from different scholars. I'm not a Greek scholar, so you couldn't trust me. Um, one book that's good that I read it's not even, it's barely a book. It's like, you know, 20 pages, 50 pages, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's talking about this very word, the falling away, the, the departure. Um, and then there's another article. So I'm going to pull a few of the quotes that I have out of this. If anybody wants to look at this or borrow it, if this interests you, just let me know. I'll, I'll let you have it. There's also an article that I printed out in there if anybody wants to see that. So... Point one, why I think this is speaking of the rapture. You see the definite article, like the, before the word falling away or or departure. Okay, you see the definite article there. Now, Greek scholars Daniel Davey of Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary says, since the Greek language does not need an article to make a noun definite, it becomes clear that with the usage of the article, reference is being made to something in particular. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, the word apostasia is prefaced by the definite article, which means that Paul is pointing to a particular type of departure clearly known to the Thessalonian church. So by him saying the, it's like him saying, I told you this before. It's something I've already, I've already talked to you about, right? Kenneth Wiest, who is a very popular Greek scholar, he's dead now, but has been very popular. He wrote commentaries and Greek helps and all kinds of things. He says, he translated it as this. He says, because the day shall not come except the the aforementioned departure comes first. So he takes the word the 
and says the aforementioned departure. The thing that I talked to you about earlier. When did he talk about it? I would say in 1 Thessalonians. Over and over and over again, he talks about it. In almost every chapter. Some say in chapter 3 too. I don't think he talks about it in chapter 3. Um, verse 10 of chapter 1. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. From the wrath to come. I already read you um, chapter 4, you know, saying that the, there'd be a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So he's already talked to them about this. He's told them that this time was coming, that this event was going to take place. Thomas Ice, he says, the use of the definite article would also support the notion that Paul spoke of a clear, discernible event. A clear, discernible event. Now let me ask you, is apostasy or the falling away of the faith a clear, discernible event? Maybe even one that the world hasn't seen before. Absolutely not. It's been happening since Judas. Right? It's been happening since the days of Paul. You know, Paul says, all have forsaken me. You know, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Um, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Falling away from the faith has been happening five seconds after Jesus left, right? It didn't take long. Paul saw it in his own lifetime. Um, 1 John 2, 18-19. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that, they, that none of them were of us. How about Harvard University? You guys know that was a seminary at some point? And now they want to discredit and take away degrees and diplomas from people who hold to conservative values, maybe even Christian values. There's Cambridge. There's all kinds of schools that have been given over to secularism and humanism. You know, that started off as Bible teaching seminaries and Bible colleges. Apostasy has been going on since the beginning. It's, I don't believe it's a discernible event, okay? But the rapture would definitely be discernible. You know, you, uh, did everybody see the Left Behind movies? Everybody? You guys see them? Okay, go, you go home and watch them. They have Kirk Cameron, a little cheesy. But, you know, piles of clothes are all over the place because people got raptured and, and stuff like that. I think that will be a discernible event, you know? What do we say? It's like uh, Bilbo Baggins in, in um, Lord of the Rings. You know, when he puts on the ring in front at his birthday party and it disappears and everybody goes, <gasps> that was a discernible event. 
It's going to be a discernible event when who knows how many Christians are snatched away, taken from the face of the earth. That will be a discernible event. So there's always groups that apostatize. So I don't, again, don't believe that's discernible. Also, Paul didn't mention apostasy in his letter to the Thessalonians at all. Not in 1 Thessalonians and not in 2 Thessalonians unless you take this verse as an apostasy as we would think. Okay? And just so you know, this isn't just a fringe interpretation too that... Well, Jordan just got carried away. He read some something on the internet, you know, which don't do your research on the internet. I feel very convicted by that. Read books, you know, or read journals on the internet. You know, it's okay to use the internet, but don't just go to blogs and stuff like that or, or weird things to, to find truth, okay? Find credentialed people to read, people who actually know what they're talking about. The Holman... Christian Standard Study Bible says this. So they give the view that it's a falling away like an apostasy from the faith. But then they say, an alternate view is that the apostasy refers to an altogether different kind of departure. The departure of the church from the earth known as the rapture, which will take place before the day of the Lord begins. Um, Henry Morris, who is a creation scientist, a very brilliant man, a very godly man, I have his study Bible. It's like this thick. You know, he wrote. To, it does have like giant print in it, so that's partly the reason because I'm going blind. <clears throat> but he gives a very long note on this passage, making the case that it's not talking about an apostasy from the faith, but a departure from the world, the rapture. But he says at the end of it, the entire context before and after fits this understanding of the rapture. Um. The text, that, so that understanding fits the text better than any other idea of apostasy from the faith. That's what Henry, Henry Morris says. John Corson, a Calvary Chapel pastor, he wrote in his, um, his commentary, I looked it up because I was talking to my father-in-law, Randy, about this. And he was, he, was, he was like, well, I never heard Chuck Smith or John Corson talk about this. And I looked in John Corson's commentary, and he's talking about it. He's saying, well, yet this is a very possible... Uh, interpretation of this word. Um, I already went through Kenneth Wiest. He makes the point clear that a physical departure is only the pl- is the only plausible interpretation when you look at the whole of the passage. Okay, which I'll get into a little bit. <clears throat> I would balance it with there are a lot of very good pre-tribulational, premillennial Scholars out there who say, no, this is talking about a falling away from the faith, though. Like um, Wolverd, who, if you studied it all, you'd know his name. John MacArthur, he doesn't believe it's talking about this. Um, Mark, Mark Hitchcock, who is like rapture focused to a bad place almost. Now, he's an awesome s- scholar and pastor and stuff like that. He, but he's very involved with like proving that the rapture is true. He says that this doesn't have anything to do with it. So, um, so I do want to keep you know, a balanced view of it. But let's go to, again to verse 3. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, unless the departure comes first, 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So we see right there with at least one of the things that the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to exalt himself above all that is called God. I would think that would mean all that Muhammad talked about. All that it was would be Allah. That the Buddhists would talk about. That um, the Hindus, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, any religion on the face of the earth, the Antichrist is going to say, I am greater than all. You know, he's going to think he's so great. He's going to go into the temple of God and he is going to set up an image of himself, according to the book of Revelation, in the temple. And he is going to proclaim that he is God. That's insane. But then it says, look at verse six or verse five. Do you not remember when I was still with you? I told you these things. So he keeps saying, I've told you about this stuff. I've told you about this stuff. Why are you so shaken? Why are you so weirded out? Why are you so scared that the day of the Lord has come? And then he says, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. What is restraining? What's restraining evil on the earth? What's restraining the Antichrist from coming? My wife got it right. I believe it's the church. Notice it says in verse 7, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now that does pose a little problem because why would the church be seen as a singular he? You know, that's kind of where the church is usually seen as the bride of Christ or we're seen as the children of Christ. Um, you know, the body of Christ, which that would actually kind of make sense, the body of Christ. But I think, I believe it's the Holy Spirit working through the church. Okay. Some have said it's, it's not that, it's Michael the archangel. Michael the archangel, it says in Daniel 12.1, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And that word stand up, they think that it means he's going to get out of the way and let all this bad stuff happen. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So Michael stands up, or in other translations, he arises. I don't know if that's the same thing as stepping aside, though. It's almost more like if Michael is the protector, he's standing up to protect. You're not going to go through this alone. He's going to protect his... God says he will always have a remnant on the earth of faithful Jewish believers. Right? You see that. You see it in the book of Revelation, too. They get taken to a place for a time that has been... A place that has been prepared for them by God, which you believe is Petra. During this great tribulation period, 
The, the Jews are taken away and they're placed in this area. They're protected. Um, another problem is not just that he's standing up and then not moving aside. But Paul says, and now you know what is restraining. Is Michael in the context of this passage at all? Absolutely not. To take, to take information from outside of a context and place it in there is illogical. It's like the definition of illogical. You have to work with what's given to you. Right? Paul's not pointing back. He's not saying, hey, remember in the book of Daniel? He's just saying, and now you know what restrains. So I believe he's pointing back to the church, to the, the snatching away, to, to what he had written to them in 1 Thessalonians. The second um, identity that is given by some is human government. Human government restrains evil, and it does. I would say you also have to take that from the book of Genesis. You know, in chapter 9 of Genesis, Noah is told that if man's um, if man sheds blood by man, his blood shall be shed. You know, instituting human government. He's still taking it from outside. There's no mention of human government in the text. And um, I think human government has killed a lot of people and done a lot of evil too. So not much of a restrainer there. I would say it's a it's a possibility, but I don't see it as fitting the context, you know? What is it like? If you own a business, what's the most important thing? They say location, location, location. In Bible study, it's context, context, context. Okay, don't leave the context and pull from another context. But imagine there's a world with no church. Imagine there's, there's a world... Where, where there's no church to say, this is what marriage looks like. This is how important life is. This is what morality looks like. Imagine if there's no church to say those things and mankind just does whatever it wants. We've seen that happen before. We saw that before the flood. It says that every, in Genesis 3, every intent and thoughts of their hearts was, was evil continually. And violence was widespread on the earth. Now, I think that's still true, but there is a restraining influence, which I believe is the church. It's the word of God, the church proclaiming what the word of God says. Do you know that there would be no America, no United States of America without the church? There would be no U.S. Our laws come from the Bible. Our laws come because... Law shows that we are made in the image of God and that our lives are precious in the sight of the Lord. Without the church, things just go awry. It's, it'd be like Mad Max, except there's no Mad Max to go around and help people. You know, it would be awful. People would be given over to whatever they want to do. Again, the literal standard version of verse 7 says, For the secret of lawlessness is already at work. Only the one now restraining, or he who restrains, will do so until he may come out of the midst. Now that word, look at verse 7 again, where it says, till he's taken out of the way. Literally it says, till he, is, he comes out of the midst. 
right, out of the middle of it. It's taken out. Not just taken out of the way like we're restraining just evil, but we're taken away out of the midst of it. And then it says, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Now, do you see a pattern? Now, now read the whole thing. What do you see? Okay, there's a departure. Then the lawless one is revealed. There's a restrainer. The restrainer is taken away. Then the lawless one is revealed. I believe that this whole passage is talking about God taking his church, gathering it up to himself, and removing us. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So it's the same order. And then look at verse 8. Just because this is awesome. What's going to happen to that lawless one? And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If, if you don't believe now, how are you going to believe when these things do take place? It says God's going to send you a strong delusion. Actually, that's a judgment you see throughout the Bible. And I, go to Isaiah chapter 29. Now I got it right. Isaiah 29. Because if you don't believe, you will believe the lie. If you don't believe the truth, what's going to protect you from the lie? The be- believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling them to, 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 that guides them and leads them into all truth. An unbelieving world does not have that, so they are subject to the lies and to delusions and to deception. Look at verse 9, Isaiah 29. It says, Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I am... He says, I am not literate. Therefore, the Lord said, and as much as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me and their, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. I think that's really interesting. The fear of me is taught by the commandment of men. It's not a fear given to them by the Lord. They've been going to church their whole life or synagogue, and they've learned about God and how, how awesome he is and how they should walk before him in the fear of him. But yet, it's not really in their hearts. It's just the commandment of men. It's not the commandment of God to them. He says, Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. I believe that that's what's going on in the United States as well, right now. When you start seeing men who normally speak, or women who speak, logical good things cease to do so the judgment of God is upon a nation 
Their eyes have been darkened. Their ears have been shut. And the Lord has given them over to a a delusion. That's what will happen during the tribulation period as well. But I also believe it's happening right now. So we talked about the rapture. Hopefully you agree. If not, then that's okay too. You'll still be raptured when the time comes. If you're in Christ, right? You don't have to believe in the rapture to be raptured. You know, but I really hope I'm right. Because I really don't want to go through that time. But I also want you guys to be ready for the time that we will go through. If the Lord does tarry, if he doesn't come right away. Right? I want you to be ready. You guys have all heard of preppers. You know, beans and bullets, baby. Beans and bullets. So maybe some rice, too. Get some rice. Mylar bags, you know. Have your shotgun ready, all that kind of stuff. Those are preppers, right? They have boxes and boxes stored up, water and cases all over the house, those big giant tubs that they fill up with the hose and then put tabs in them to keep it fresh for four years or whatever it is. You know, they're always ready for things to just go haywire. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's smart. I'd like to do a little bit more of it myself, but there's something more important. And I think that is spiritual prepping. If we're going to go through really hard times in this country, are you ready for that? Are you ready for persecution? I'm like, man, I can't even live with my wife with understanding. How am I going to be ready for persecution? I have a hard time loving my kids and my wife the way I'm supposed to. How am I going to be ready to stand in a day of persecution? I have a hard time waking up in the morning to read my Bible and to pray. How am I going to stand when there's persecution? If you can't do the first things, I think we're going to have a really hard time doing those other things. Now, I do believe God helps those who want to stay close to him and stand for him. I believe he helps. He doesn't leave us. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, right? He said, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're not left alone ever, ever. And that's a comfort. But wonder if that day does come. Whether it's persecution or famine or war breaks out. You know, looking at the government that we have now, I could only imagine our enemies saying, oh boy, this is so good. You know, yeah, just drop a few nukes on them, a few bombs, whatever. And I don't know if that stuff's going to happen. I pray it doesn't. But are we ready to stand if things get really, really bad? And how are you going to stand? So do the first things. All right? Do the first things. Read your Bible. Study it. Pray. Pray for our country. Pray for our nation. Pray for Joe Biden. Pray for Kamala Harris. Pray for their salvation. Pray that the Lord would stand in the way of any evil that any leader wants to do, whether it's a governor or a mayor mayor or a city council or even a school council. Pray for those things. Pray that you would be a light in this world. Worship together. If, if a soldier is by himself on a battlefield, 
he's not going to do very well, right? If he's all by himself, he's probably going to get picked off real quick. He has nobody to help him if he twists his ankles or if he gets shot. He has no one to help him, no one to stand with him. Plus, being lonely is almost worse than not having food or water or anything else. Having no one, the fear of that, drowns most people. We need to be with other believers, praying for each other, talking to each other, encouraging one another, and loving good deeds. Right? Worship. Just worship. Sing out to the Lord together. Sing to the Lord. We are to be a joyous people. And even in the midst of persecution, we are to be joyous. You know? Paul tells them not to be terrified because by them not being terrified to the Philippians who are being persecuted, they are showing the destruction that is going to come upon those who do persecute them. Don't be terrified. Jesus said, don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe it also in me. Right? And then he says, I'm going to come and get you. You know? Oh, I just thought of, did anybody watch the Rick Green stuff? He's the Constitution coach. I sent you guys a, a link to it. What's that? Is it? Well, you can watch it after if you sign up for it, but you have to sign up for it. But he said, he said, and he's this, you know, patriot guy, and he says it's kind of like in the movie Taken. You know, did anybody see the movie Taken? His daughter is in a hotel room. These guys come in to take her. That's why it's called Taken. And to put her into the sex trade, right? They're going to kidnap her. And she's calling her dad, and, and she says, she says, this is what's happening. So listen to me. You're going to be taken, but I'm going to come for you. Right? He gives her hope. Jesus gives us hope. Right? You're, you're going to go through things that are going to trouble you. They're going to shake you to the very core. But be of good cheer. Right? He says, I've overcome the world, and I'm coming to get you. I am coming to get you. And even if he doesn't in our lifetime, if you put your hope in him, what happens if you die? What happens if you give your life? Your life cannot be taken. Jesus said, anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He said that to Mary or Martha. Do you believe this? He who lives and believes in me will never die. Nobody can take your life from you. You belong to the Lord. You are his. You are his property. You are his son. You are his adopted children. Right? And so nobody can take you from his hand. Jesus said, nobody can take you from my hand. Nobody can take you from my father's hand. I and my father are one. John 17. So hold on to those truths. Okay? Even if you just have to go through trials and it's not the destruction of America and stuff like that, maybe you break your leg skateboarding. <laughs> you know? Maybe you go through all kinds of things. Maybe you get sick. Maybe a family member does. Maybe a family m- member walks away from Christ and they're destroying their life. Still, be of good ca- courage. Be of good cheer. We have a living God who is, who is intricately intricately involved with the affairs of men. So don't lose hope.
Amen? Let's pray. I'll pray then. If anybody else wants to, please do.